Welcome to a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. Because it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. A breath of fresh air. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day. Hi, how are you doing? I hope you're having fun wherever you are. My eldest daughter just gave birth to a little boy this week, my second grandchild and the first boy in a family full of girls. He arrived on my late mother's birthday, so it started me thinking about the circle of life. I wonder what music he'll grow up listening to and whether that old adage of whatever's old becomes new again holds true. If it does, he may well discover one of the best British bands of the mid-60s in Savoy Brown. The group had a string of successful albums through the early 70s, and even though they're still going today, they never really had the commercial breakthrough that their contemporaries like Cream, Fleetwood Mac or Ten Years After had. because Savoy Brown never had a consistent lineup. Founder Kim Simmons was the only constant member and sadly he passed away in December 2022 at the age of 75. Still carrying the torch though is bassist Pat DeSalvo and drummer Garnet Grimm who are both my special guests today. They'll fill us in on all things Kim Simmons and share their latest album release. Let's start with you Garnet. Well, uh, I'm the drummer, and uh, I've been with the band for almost 14 years. Pat and I both joined uh, close to the same time. Pat was pretty instrumental in bringing me in. We had done some recording with Kim uh, back in the 90s together, and it was for solo stuff. So when it came time to change up the band around 2008 or 9, we were able to jump into our roles and where we remained right up to the present day. And I think we are the longest running rhythm section Kim ever had. Something I know ain't me I'm tired of living up to what people expect me to be You know that some people are different now Ain't that a crying shame Now wouldn't it be a real drag if we were all the same And I'm not gonna try to please Eyes that just don't see it If I get myself together how the blues not me Savoy Brown's been known for its revolving door of members ever since its inception, hasn't it? <laughs> yes. Pat, tell me about how you got started. I had been asked to record his acoustic record. I play acoustic bass and he wanted to do an acoustic project. I had met him in 88 and we became friends. And that's one of the reasons why we probably were in the band. We knew each other's personalities pretty well. I had recorded about five projects with him before he asked me to join the band. The reason we lasted so long, the main reason was there was a respect and Kim really liked our work ethic. And he didn't have to babysit us at all. Not that he had to babysit a lot of the other guys, but. We both took roles on to help the band improve, where I would do promo, and me and Garnett both sort of did the tour manager. So we, there was only three of us on the road. So it, 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 was, um, it was very easy to work with. 
Interesting that the band, when it first formed in 1965 in London, was an English band. Yep. And uh, here I am talking to you two Yanks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Kim, I don't know when exactly Kim moved to the U.S., maybe 1980 or uh, somewhere in there. But he had a family here, so he established himself here. And I think the band had worked so much in America and abroad, but they did a lot of touring in America that Kim had an audience in the United States. So I think making the move here was not super difficult. You know, he established himself here. I think he ended up living here in the United States longer than he was in England and the UK. Right. How would you describe Kim Simmons? What sort of a guy was he? Well, with me, he was very open and honest. He was, as far as his music, I mean, we we became very close in the last 14 years. So it was kind of like a family. His wife, Debbie, did a lot of work behind the scenes. And the three of us spent a lot of time together on the road and off the road rehearsing. So we became intertwined with our personal lives and uh, we were all friends. I... You know, Kim was a wonderful person, open, honest, very creative, obviously. And uh, he was a good Indian cook, by the way. We used to go over there and eat Indian food quite often. was an English blues rock institution, but the band itself never really achieved as much success in England as it did in the US, did it? Yeah. No, um, no, it didn't. yeah no, I don't think so. I think the numbers are still need to be put on the on the scoreboard, so to speak, because Kim really was in in the beginning, he was in on all of that. And he was in he influenced quite a few of those people. Now Eric Clapton and some of them are a little bit older, not much, maybe by four or five years older than Kim. But Kim definitely was consistent with the blues rock thing and really helped advance it across the world. And, you know, I mean, he stayed true to his roots. Uh, I don't know exactly why the commercial success never happened. I think because Kim stayed true to where he was. But he's certainly in the same category as all those guys, if you ask me anyway. Pat, it's always been blues rock. What is blues rock? And point me to a tune that really defines Savoy Brown of Dan. And I apologise because here in Australia, we've all always pronounced it Savoy Brown and I hear you pronouncing it Savoy Brown. But I guess that's just the difference in where we are in the world, right? Right, right. Yep. Yeah, I wouldn't get too technical with that, but yeah. Um, how did Kim pronounce it? He used to say Savoy, didn't he? I can't remember. Yeah, I think I so. Think so. <laughs> he was Americanized. It was his Americanized. <laughs> he Americanized him. Right, right. Pat, tell me about what the band was like when you first joined it. Well, at that point, he was uh, a trio. And I came in because the, uh, the bass player that was playing uh, got ill and he needed a uh, temporary bass player. But going back to your question, what's blues rock? The British were very keen on picking up on the blues and the R&B scene back in the 60s. They just took it and they went someplace else with it. They modified it, or we could say rocked it up a little bit. But they really helped the the whole American blues scene have, uh, they revitalized it up till now still, you know, the... uh, Really, it was uh, was going the way of the jazz almost, uh, the way jazz has become. But the, the British were very keen, once again, on what we were, what was going on in the States. And they knew more about the blues scene than most, most, <laughs> the, most Americans did. I got to be honest with you. 
And uh, a typical blues rock song, there, there's so many of them. Street Corner Talking, uh, Kim would take, his idea was, uh, I forgot who exactly told him, just get, get a melody with five notes and base your song around that. And, uh, you know, a lot of it's one, four, five, and and those guys really got into the boogie thing. Bands like 10 Years After and Savoy uh, both got into the doing the heavy boogie thing, Long John Bardley. But they really did, once again, they helped the uh, American blues scene immensely. Eric Clapton, all those guys, Peter Green, you know, um, uh, immense influence back over to the States. Blues rock was almost, it was the, the catch-all phrase in the late 60s, wasn't it, to describe that genre? And Kim was contemporaries with uh, artists like Cream, with John Mayall and even Jimi Hendrix. Yes. Right. And yeah. I, I read a real good article. It was with Chaz Chadwell, I think, who brought Jimi Hendrix over. And they made a point uh, in the article saying if Jimi Hendrix didn't come over to, to Britain, it might have taken him a lot longer or he might never have been who he was. Basically, he went over to the UK, uh, UK, got UK musicians and became very popular in the UK and then went back to the States, you know, because his career in the States, he really didn't have one at that point. So mm -hmm. it's pretty interesting. Then you think what he did with it, with the music and where he took it. You know, there was no blueprint, really. These guys were making it up as they were going along. All the bands were Humble Pie, Foghat, any of those bands. They were just, they were inventing things. Led Zeppelin. When you think of all the great bands that have come out of the UK, it's, it's kind of amazing. That's that big of a country. me coffee in my favorite cup I know yeah I know hallelujah I just love her so As Americans, that the British had to bring blues back to America? Um, no, you know. I mean, for me, it, it, it was surprise. You know, a little surprising that that happened because I, I think that sometimes, you know, and it happens with our own families, right? I mean, sometimes you don't, you're not aware of what you have <laughs> until you don't have it. I, I think that. America at that time didn't recognize the great talent that they had in the blues. And, you know, it, these kids at the time in England got a hold of it and they amped it up with modern guitars and made the backbeats a little heavier. And all of a sudden it caught on. But that, it was the same thing. It was just redressed. And I think that America didn't take to it for various reasons. Some of it could have been, you know, the segregation that was going on at the time, you know. There was a, I mean, some, some folks didn't hear it. <laughs> you know, I mean, there was some white folks weren't hearing it necessarily, you know. Yeah. It, it's an interesting uh, point, though, how they, you know, the English kind of brought it back to America again. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on that, Pat? Pretty much uh, the same as Garnett, but it's interesting because when it first came over, I don't think a lot of people realize where they were getting their ideas from. And then as you start listening to what they're doing and looking at maybe the artists they were covering, you, people started to realize, wow, this has been in our backyard for a while. And there definitely was a segregation at the time where black acts couldn't get the success because they were of color. 
you know, so that's that's that definitely plays in there. We don't think about it because we're Americans, you know, and, you know, America is this great melting pot. And, you know, we just think, you know, really, America is the American Indians and uh, Mexicans were there at that point, you know, but all these people came over. Yeah. So were you guys aware of the band Savoy Brown before you joined them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was very aware. I mean, uh, my family, my, my dad was a big influence on me musically. And he we had all kinds of that era artists you know so Savoy Brown was I I believe we even had I remember we had it on an eight track It just happened so it worked out wonderful because he was living in our area and we were able to rehearse uh, because we lived close by. Kim had a studio at his house. So for rehearsals, for meetings, it was quite easy for us to to get together. So that I think that was key. And we played well together. I mean, definitely we had a great chemistry. Well, that chemistry certainly translated into some amazing music. Many Savoy Brown fans say the band had never sounded so good. Stick with me, there's lots more coming up. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Thanks for being here. I'm chatting to Savoy Brown drummer Garnet Grimm and bass player Pat DeSalvo. I'm still not sure whether it's Savoy Brown or Savoy Brown, but I guess both are fine. Although much younger than the original members, they grew up loving the English blues rock band and were huge admirers of the incredible guitar work practised by their now-deceased leader, guitarist, songwriter and vocalist Kim Simmons. What was your favourite Savoy Brown track growing up? That one's a tough one, I would have to say. I think Street Corner Talking because of the way we had developed it. So Kim had really developed that. Uh, a live version of that was kind of exciting to do for, for me anyway. you black knight which i didn't even know was kim i heard that maybe like by the time i was in college i think so mm-hmm. i didn't even know that was um savoy brown there's so many songs this catalog is so big there's just so many tunes 
we had a hard time making a set with stuff sometimes. I bet you did. Pat DeSalvo, now I've got you calling them Savoy Brown. Yeah. <laughs> I've become an Australian. <laughs> I wonder if it's Australian. Maybe it's British too. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. Pat, you've always been into the blues. Yeah, at a very young age, I got into jazz and classical music. And then, you know, I started really listening to the blues more uh, through later years. But then also, you know, as, as trying to be a working musician, you play a lot of music you really wouldn't want to play. You do these cover bands and uh, just to, you know, to, to develop yourself, develop your style and just to learn. I played in pit bands, I played in opera orchestras, I played in big bands. I had a very varied uh, experience growing up and it all I was able to pull all different components out of that music and bring it into, when I got into Kim, starting to play with Kim, got to bring it into the band. There's more to blues. A lot of people would talk down to me, oh, you're playing a blues band. And I was like, mm, yeah, well, there's 12 notes and everything's in 4-4 for basically everything, you know? So, like, what's your, what's the deal? If you listen to a lot of pop songs, from Amy Whitehouse to Lady, Lady Gaga, they do a lot of 1-4-5 stuff that I didn't realize. Sometimes I'll have my bass, I'll be playing, and I'll have put Pandora on. But all of a sudden it goes, oh, my God, this is just a 1-4-5, you know? Yeah, right. They say that everything's built on the blues anyway. Yes, yeah. it, def- it well, definitely is, you know? That's definitely the ground, yeah, I mean- it's kind of an international base for a lot of music, you know, and so yeah, I mean, it, it's easy for it's easy to do things around it. I think it's kind of fun if you ever listen to commercials on the radio. There's still tons of tons of blues commercials. Jingles are always based around a lot of blues stuff, you know. So why do you think that is? What's the appeal of blues music? First of all, it has a formula, you know, one, four, five. It's easy to follow for a lot of people. And there's definitely a pulse, you know. Uh, there's usually a, a, you know, a one and a four kind of pulse. So it's easy to dance to. It's easy to relate to. It's easy to, well, I'm not a songwriter like Kim was, but a lot of uh, musicians will, songwriters, it's easier for them to write lyrics are based around those, that formula, I think it's, you know, become uh, the ground floor of a lot of song building. It's very truthful music, the way to tell an honest story. Nobody cares about me. I don't even have a friend. My baby doesn't love me. such a revolving door of musicians with this band? Is it because the band Savoy Brown has been going constantly since it was formed in 1965? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, again, that's a question. There's probably no two-minute answer for that, but when you think about it, the, the longevity of bands in general is not very long. I mean, even the most popular ones will have their day in the sun and then they're gone, you know, but Kim definitely kept the thing going for a long time, and it was his vision that did that. Kim's the only person I know. Savoy Brown's the only band he's ever been in. Started it when he was 16. He was the main songwriter and and the whole thing and kept the thing going for all these years. Now, I mean, you get into other circumstances. I mean, in that, that period in the 60s when blues rock was starting to become very popular now you had some guys that were 
maybe wanting to get in and get involved to be rock stars or for whatever reason and conflicts happen because of business or because of direction that the band was, you know, certain bands are going in. So uh, it became a revolving door. But I don't know Kim intentionally sought out to do this, but he sure did launch a lot of careers. All the guys in Foghat were from Savoy Brown. Dave Walker was in Black Sabbath and in Fleetwood Mac. day though i think it was kim's vision that he was the one that kept it going so. what sort of success did savoy brown enjoy from the outset from the beginning they meant great success and a lot of major bands that are around now from kiss to zz top to the almond brothers were one time opening acts for them eventually kim had his popularity and he wanted to stay true to his blues rock roots and that's what he did so by doing that Sometimes bands will make a change and all of a sudden, you know, whatever the new fad is type thing, and they'll, and they'll, they'll gravitate that way. And Kim just wanted to be a, basically a blues rock band, not just do the standards. He wanted to take that music and evolve it as much as he could. Were there times when he wanted to call it quits? There was times when he probably put his hands up and said, like, why am I doing this? I had such great success at one time. And now, you know, I'm not playing the venues I was playing. But he really was in it for the music, and he felt an obligation to his fans that was so important to him were the fans, the people that came out and supported him all the years. And he had a really good heart towards them, and he wanted them, he wanted to make them happy. That was his whole job. And saying that, there were some times where he was so tired. We'd play a bunch of shows in a row, and he would. He would get tired, you know? And sometimes at a meet and greet, he was like, he would do the meet and greet, but you could tell he was exhausted. Then he'd go back to the hotel and immediately pass out, or he'd go in the, in the van and you just would go to sleep. Because he, he gave a lot, of, and he's putting so much of his personality into this, and he's really trying. I mean, I, I gave him a lot of credit. He, he, once again, he had a lot of tenacity, Sandy. He really was in it for the music. And that may be a reason that he wasn't as popular. He was more concerned about writing songs and playing. Those were his two things. Did you see the fan base grow? We started really developing Europe. I mean, we started like drawing really well. Uh, from the first time I went there to the end, we got into the bigger rooms, all of a sudden shows are sold out. And it was happening in the United States too. Once again, I have to contribute to the three of us sticking together and doing a great show and just pushing each other to make the band better. I call a band, Sandy, a dysfunctional family. You got a dad and a mom in the band. Oh my God, you're doing great. Usually, you got a, a sort of a dad and then a bunch of kids. <laughs> I love that. It's just the way it is. So I can't, you know. And then everybody thinks they're great, no matter what they say. We all think, well, I'm really good. Me screw up, or I'm doing the best I can. No, you're not. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's the thing that comes into play. And Kim really wanted. 100% on stage, off the stage, and in the studio. And it's hard for people to do that. Me and Garda, believe it or not, both have full-time jobs. And we were lucky, we had employers that said, okay, you can go on the road. You can catch it if you wanna ride. Don't you worry if it pass you by. Train I ride goes 
train I ride goes to God knows where I don't know and I don't care Was it difficult to maintain full-time work and play in the band as well? It must have been pretty tough. No, he worked with us. He really... There was a thing he respected. This is why we stayed in the band so long, once again. We had a mutual respect, and he looked at us, and I got two guys that are supporting families. We go to work every day. They work overtime, and then they come, and they, after work, and they'll be rehearsing with them. They don't make excuses. They're on time. They're prepared. And he really respected that. He would work things around around us. It also, I mean, we joined at a time when Kim didn't want to be on the road 300 days a year. He had already done that. We didn't do huge, huge tours like he had done earlier in his life because he was getting older and he didn't want to do it anymore. He had a family and we all had families, so. You must have very, very understanding wives and kids. Yeah, my wife is very understanding. <laughs> Kim was considered one of music's premier blues rock guitarists as well as songwriters. And as we've discussed, he'd been doing it for such a long time. How long had he been sick for before he passed away? Well, he got cancer in 2014. But we got over that hurdle. But this last time, what happened was we did, after COVID, we did our first couple of shows, right, in in Chicago area. And uh, we were about to go back out on the road I think later on in August 21, right? And Kim was not feeling well. So he ended up going to the doctor and there ended up being something more serious. So he couldn't, he wanted us to load the van, Sandy. He couldn't even get out of bed. And we were very concerned because, not because of the work, because we're going, like, what's going on with him? You know, he was very <laughs> ill. And he was like that for about a year, about a year and a half, or not? Yeah, about a year and a half yeah. it was. Um, but that's what's kind of interesting about the recording that we did, uh, this last one, because it was done during this period where Kim was ill and uh, he wasn't feeling 100%. So we did it quite different than we had done any of the other records that Pat and I had done with him anyway, where he sent demos to all of us, including the sound engineer. We sort of studied the demos ourselves Kim had already laid down basic ideas musically. So when Pat and I went in together, we were the only ones together. Kim had not was not there. And we played our basic tracks. And we kind of built the, the, the record from the ground up at that point, which was very different from what we had ever done before. We had always rehearsed songs and went in, played them live. We played live in the studio. And then if, you, if there were corrections that needed to be made, we would make them. So I think that was a, a quite a bit different way to approach it, but I think it worked out well. Who's all around? They're coming down.
Sound is the title track to the latest album. It's Savoy Brown's 42nd studio album and it showcases Kim Simmons' most inspired guitar work and expressive vocals. Since Kim's illness during the recording sessions, he was playing a great deal more slide guitar than on previous albums. Kim Simmons is considered one of music's premier blues and blues rock guitarists and songwriters and is hailed as one of the architects of the 1960s British blues scene in London. He was an early pioneer of the British blues movement and a passionate proponent of the blues, but lost his hard-fought battle with cancer recently, just one week after celebrating his 75th birthday. Hang in there as we explore more of the amazing work that Kim Simmons did with Savoy Brown. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Welcome back. Garnet Grimm and Pat De Silva have been filling us in on the music legend that Savoy Brown's Kim Simmons was. Kim started the band in the mid-60s, and the energetic blues rock was Savoy Brown's calling card from the very beginning. The term blues rock became the catch-all phrase in the late 60s to describe the group's music, along with that of contemporaries like Cream, Fleetwood Mac and Jimi Hendrix. Having established national status in the 70s, Savoy Brown provided opportunities for many other bands to launch their careers. Some of those include Kiss, ZZ Top and the Doobie Brothers. The band also helped open the eyes of many 70s American music fans to their own homegrown blues artists, and today they remain one of the longest-running blues rock bands in existence. Shortly before Kim Simmons passed away, he made his final album, Blues All Round. And Kim came in while we were there and worked with us. Uh, he, I remember he put down some harmonica, piano parts, stuff like that. The vocal parts he did on his own, I believe. So it was cool. I had some ideas for adding percussion. Kim had a way of bringing you into the creative process. So he let us express our musical thoughts. I mean, he had certain expectations, but he also gave us some freedom to create. And Pat, did his becoming sick drive him even further? Was he more determined to make another album? Yeah, he really pushed to get to play on the record. And Sandy, he wanted to play a lot of slide on it because the neuropathy, which is caused from having chemo, it affects your fingers and your toes and stuff, and they just don't function. You know, you got to give the guy credit. He's trying to do a, get a quality of life, trying to balance it out, stay with his wife and daughter, and then, you know, come out with this album. We all knew in the studio that one day, was this my life's changing after this. It's going to be, my life's going to be a little different when he's gone. So a little retrospect. Do you have songs that you've done with Kim that, that are really close to your heart? The old stuff, there's so many demos we did that, you know, we never recorded. It's always about the story, Sandy. If, you, if you've got a great story, you could just sit down with an acoustic guitar or just sing it. Everything else is just embellishments. It's uh, the frosting on the cake. I used to like it when we played that tune, Guitar Slinger. I like that one. On a back road leading nowhere I heard a sound like thunder in the night I decided to check it out I think it's changed several times, and some of that had to do with the revolving door thing we talked about. You know, it depends on who's in the band and, and what kind of influences were there. If you listen to the record Jack the Toad, for example, you'll recognize some of his playing, but the band sounds quite different. And you also got to think that in the last several years, 
we were a trio. Kim always had singers. He always had often a second guitar player. A uh, keyboard player was kind of a staple in the band early on. So, yeah, I mean, all those things changed the dynamic. The sound. Yeah. Why did he bring it back down to a trio? Just easier to manage? Probably, you know, easier to manage. I mean, we did, for a short time, we brought in a singer when we did Voodoo Moon. But we did find that, for some reason, the chemistry was a lot better with the three of us than even with the fourth member. So if you were going to bring in anybody, I think you really had to bring in someone that was able to melt together with you very tightly, which we were able to do. They say tonight There'll be a surprise Just around midnight Better close your eyes Some people get crazy Some people gonna shout And some don't What it's all about So hey little sister Watch your move There's some black magic Gonna get to you It's gonna make no world Fuss and fight There's a voodoo moon It's coming out tonight What's your favorite track on the new album? I'll tell you, there's a couple of them I like. I like Texas Love. I I just love the raw shuffle, the rawness of the guitar. But the the one I thought was the most fun for Pat and myself anyway was uh, California Days Gone By. Because the story is when we got the demo, it didn't really match the lyrics. The, The music wasn't matching the lyrics so much. So... It was kind of almost a country song, but the lyric, if you listen to it, is about Kim hanging out with the band in California in probably the 1960s, you know? So uh, it just didn't fit the lyric. So Pat and I sort of just kept messing around with grooves until we fell on one that we thought might be a little more appropriate. And I remember Ron, the sound engineer, just had his finger on the record button and we just kept we just kept playing you know and uh, if he if he didn't like something he'd say no no you know i remember he was like garnet no too many symbols let's try something else and so we just kept playing until we landed on something it was kind of cool kind of fun about what was going on around him and how he was feeling at the time? I, I don't think he was writing about his illness. I think he was, he was, he may have been reminiscing a little, but I think I don't think he was writing about his illness, no. I got the vibe he was, and just some of the songs, like Gypsy Healer was one of them. 
And the intro and outro that he did that falling through the cracks, I just, I think he was realizing, okay, this is, you know, this is, might be the final chapter type of thing. Must have been really difficult for you to see him going down. Yeah, it was, it was really hard. You know, but we kept, in, we kept in touch very close, really right up till the very end. I mean, I remember I texted, I texted him on his birthday, which he died only a week or so later. But I texted him on his birthday. He couldn't. He just sent me a thumbs up. You know, he didn't. He didn't uh, really respond, but he let me know. He, he let me know that he got it, and uh, I felt. Uh, you know, I just felt terrible. You know, I think Pat and I both wanted to get up there and see him, but uh, I think he wanted to be just with his family. Yeah, Pat. How will Kim Simmons be remembered? Well. I, I hope he's remembered, uh, an innovator, and that his music will keep making people happy, and that people can draw from from his uh, his writing, whether it be the songs or the lyric, uh, the songs, the lyrics, or the music. That you know, younger players can come up and listen to him and go, "Oh my God, that's great stuff!" And that's something I can I can pull and put into my repertoire type thing. You know what I mean? It's like an influence. And what happens for you guys now? You said that he had given you a whole lot of demos and he'd actually hoped to make another album again. Are you likely to, to work on those demos and put that out together? Oh, I don't know. I, I like to think there's another Savoy Brown record in there. The one thing I will say is that if there is going to be another release, it's going to have to be done with the same vigour and fortitude that he would put into it. So it would have to be the right people working on it. Uh, Kim definitely left a lot of music and a lot of art. You know that he was also a painter. So you could go to the website and see uh, his painting and his music. All the all the albums are quite a few of them are there uh, that you can get. And you can get this one there as well. But, uh, yeah, he left us a lot of music, a lot of art. Uh, I really fortunate and filled with gratitude that I was able to get close to this creative giant. But uh, like I've said to a few people, I understand the circle of life has to happen, but it doesn't feel good very often. Nope. So I'm just thankful for the time we had. Pat and I were lucky. Sometimes I think, oh man, we should have been with him in the beginning. You know, we would have been tearing it up. But at the other hand, you know, you had to go through a lot of life lessons and, and a lot of things. I think we were lucky, though, Pat and I, where we got to play all that old material, quite a bit of it, and we got to make new music as well. That's life, huh? Yeah. Which song shall we go out on, guys? Which I'd like to just mention one thing that me and Garnett are, are still playing together, and we're playing with a uh, gentleman that's on the label we're on, and his name's Sean Chambers, and we just were in Europe in October, and we did a tour. It went well. We're going to go back over and do another tour. And uh, actually, we're hoping, you know, we're going to talk to Debbie King's wife, and we're the label wants us to go in and do another record sanding. We're going to hopefully grab a couple of Kim songs and put them on the record. We'll see what happens with that. Well, if you can keep the legacy of Kim Simmons alive and, and Savoy Brown, then uh, awesome. Well, he's got... I have to say, his wife, uh, Kim's wife, Debbie, does a lot of work. She always did. She was the one booking the flights and advancing the shows. She was doing a lot of work behind the scenes. She's going to do a lot to keep this legacy going. Uh, the website's up and running. There's a good amount of people still on Team Savoy Brown working. Awesome. Well, Kim Simmons has certainly left a fabulous legacy and I'm very grateful to you guys for having a chat with us today to tell us all about the new album and uh, filling us in on everything that's gone before. The new album's called Blues All Around and uh, I guess that's exactly the, what Kim Simmons wanted. Yeah. Won't you give me a sign?
from the Blues All Round album. Legendary bluesman Kim Simmons might be gone, but his overarching legacy over blues and rock music remains towering. The British blues boom was a phenomenon never to be repeated again, and it remains one of the foremost UK music movements of all time. I hope you've enjoyed the story of Kim Simmons and Savoy Brown. Thanks for being with me today. I've really enjoyed having your company. Don't forget if you'd like to request a guest for this program, all you have to do is send me an email through the website, abreathoffreshair.com.au, and I'll do my best to make it happen for you. Have fun, won't you, until we meet again. I'll look forward to being back with you same time next week. Bye now. Because it's a beautiful day. You've been listening to A Breath of Fresh Air with Sandy Kay. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day.